Welcome to Freedom, Ideas That Matter. I'm Aaron Ross Powell. And I'm Trevor Burris. Today, Trevor and I are going to be talking about intent in both morality and public policy. But before we get to that, we'd like to remind you that Freedom is a listener-supported show. If you like what you hear and you'd like to support us, go to support.freedom.audio. Today's conversation came out of a quick little thing I, re- I wrote on Threads, which is the social media platform I'm now most active on, about a frustration that I have, you have had, doing public policy, doing political advocacy, working in politics with the way that a lot of people engage with political questions. And the short version of it goes like this. I have identified a problem in the world that I think we should try to fix with government action. This politician says they're going to do this thing to fix it, or this law that's being proposed says that it will fix it. Therefore, I should support it because the intent of the law is to do what I want. And then if you, Trevor, come along and say, I don't support that law or that politician because I don't think it's actually going to work. And and by not work, I mean it might not fix the problem or it might fix the problem but be wildly more expensive than alternatives or it might fix the problem but create other problems that we don't see as desirable. The response of a lot of people is not, oh, that's interesting, let's hash that out. It is, oh, you must not want to solve the problem because what matters is the intent. And if the intent is good, then whatever it is I say I want to do based on that intent is good. And so therefore, it's kind of backwards reasoning of if if you then come along and deny the thing I want to do, you must be denying that you want to solve the same problem that I set out to solve. And and this seems like a little thing, right? Like you could just point this out and get on with your day, but it's remarkable how much the the very act of kind of analysis in political engagement stops at intent. That it's not that they they see the intent, they see the proposed thing, and then they kind of misassess whether the proposed thing will accomplish what it sets out to, but that that most people don't even get to that. They just they just go with the intent and they stop there. And then when the proposed thing is done, is carried out, there's no going back and seeing, did this actually accomplish? That's it's just we've moved on to the next thing. It doesn't matter. And it's it's profoundly frustrating because not only does it lead to worse policies, because we're not critically engaging with policies before we enact them, and we're not critically assessing them after we enact them. But it really harms the ability to have fruitful conversations about these policies, especially because intent tends to map onto partisanship and tribalism and is just a sign of whether you're on my team or the other team. And so someone, you you just kind of assume that someone who doesn't share the outcomes is is evil or vile, you know, if it's a real problem in the world that we should solve, if I think you don't want to solve it, that says something bad about your moral character. Yeah, reading your thread in the original thread and what you just said, it, it made me think about very early in my career at Cato, I, I spent, I don't know, I probably did 30 debates on the Affordable Health Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. 
And my biggest frustration, I mean, I was doing it as a, mostly as a constitutional law matter, but I also would talk a little bit about how the law wouldn't work and I think still doesn't work. But I, half of my critiques coming from people were, you're against affordable health care because it's called the Affordable Health Care Act. And that's how we name laws. And we either give them like a cool acronym uh, where they try and come up with something like the Patriot Act, which I think is an acronym. I can't remember what it stands for, but they protect America against terrorists and whatever. But, um, but you know, we have the Inflation Reduction Act now. We have like affordable housing acts. And you're right. I mean, for most people, and this is like our frustration in general and everyone's frustration who's more politically engaged than the average American. And if you're listening to this podcast, that is probably you. Uh, the, the frustration is, is that there's not actually a conversation that goes beyond the title of the bill and the intent of the act to create affordable health care or affordable housing or reduce inflation. And that that's where it starts. Um, I think the interesting thing, too to go even beyond where you, where you are, I mean, the, your initial remarks, uh, is the question of whether or not, like when you in, impute intent, like there are a lot of people who think that like people who oppose the affordable healthcare act literally oppose affordable healthcare. Like, like they're just really bad people who do not want affordable healthcare. Like, I mean, that's the level of political discourse. Like that's, it's not a policy disagreement. They're, they're just really bad people. And if, if that's what people accuse people on the quote unquote right of doing, but, but people on the, on the right accuse the left of like, you know, wanting to nationalize the economy because they have a, a certain thing. But most of the time, these are not the intents of the people. There are very few people on the political spectrum who want who who literally want fascism or socialism or like do not want affordable health care like that 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 imputed intent is the one that gets me where you 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 then conclude a lot of things about the morality of your political opponents uh without getting into the policy questions at all and i don't know are we asking too much of people we we both know why people don't read policy papers Right. We know we know that we know why voters are ignorant, Mike. We know that they can't that uh, an attempt to make voters more intelligent about what they're voting on is going to fail because there's not enough incentive to become informed unless you're geeks like us Um, or, you know, and so so are we just asking too much of people if we ask them to, like, care about the the actual nature of the policies or like, you know, what the person is saying as opposed to just playing pure partisan politics and imputing intent based on, you know, the name of the act. It's interesting because I think there's two ways that we can interpret asking too much in this. Um, one is a is an epistemic one, which is in order to it, – it takes an extraordinary amount of work, um, an extraordinary amount of time and effort to become an expert in, in even one narrow policy. You know, like I've spent, spent 
most of my career in Washington, D.C., surrounded by policy wonks talking about this stuff. And there are all sorts of policy questions where I am just I feel wildly unqualified to even express like the most hesitating opinion on it's it's just extraordinarily complicated stuff. And and so to ask anyone you know, and and I was getting paid to do it at the time. It was my full-time job, right? So to ask anyone who's not to gain that level of expertise sounds like too much in the sense that it is just unrealistically demanding of their time and energy and so on, especially given all the, the trade-offs that you know they most people have other things they need to do at that time. Yeah, research research your next car purchase versus right. your next vote. Yeah. Right. So that's that's one way, but the other way is are we asking too much in in a moral sense, which is that it is we're we're essentially demanding a degree of being like strident in our demands about how it, the proper way to engage in something that goes beyond kind of reasonable expectations for people. And I think that is that's a really interesting question in even outside of politics. So at the start of this, we said we talked about it in, in, you know, in morality and politics, because the role of in, intent is, is difficult to assess generally, right? Like I, I take all sorts of just non-political, non-voting actions in my life all the time. I might, you might come to me for advice and I give you advice and I, thought that was good advice. You acted upon it. I wasn't intending to harm you, but then either like I got something wrong or, you know, I hadn't thought through this other thing and it does harm you in some way. Or I am a doctor and I intend to heal, but I didn't know quite, you know, this one thing that I could have known, you know, if I'd just gone and talked to house MD, I would have figured that out and it harms the patient. Um, and so intent in action is not the same as outcome in action. And if we're going to judge the moral quality of an action, we can judge it on intent. You've done the right thing if your intent was good and pure, and you've done the wrong thing if your intent was impure, corrupt, evil, etc. Um, or we can judge based on outcome. You did the right thing if you actually produced good results, made the world a better place, didn't create harm, etc. Um, but but most of us, I think, think that it's not either all one or all the other. Like uh, if I advance a theory that the only thing that matters is outcome, most of us say that doesn't seem quite right to me. And if I advance a theory that the only thing that matters is intent and outcomes have no bearing on how we should judge someone's actions, that doesn't sound quite right either. But where it sits in the middle is incredibly challenging. And that question sits beneath this whole thing of politics. Is someone doing something morally wrong if they support a policy because their intent is pure and they believe wholeheartedly and in a way that is not, you know, they, they're not, they're not like consciously deluding themselves. They just are acting on the quantity of information that they happen to have at the time, but it leads to bad results. Is that is that morally blameworthy in a way that they should correct, um, or and and alternatively, and this shows up in D.C. as well, right? Like we, you make alliances with people. This has been one of my arguments against kind of fusionism and libertarianism entangling itself with the right is that 
you might find someone on the far right who supports limiting the state in a certain way for the same reason you as like a cosmopolitan libertarian do, but the intent behind it is wildly divergent, right? And and so how should we how should we think about that if you're both going for the same outcome but you have one person wants that outcome because they think it's going to oppress a certain group that they'd like to see oppressed and the other person supports the outcome because they think it's going to liberate a certain group that they think should be liberated how should we think about those differences it reminds me of a uh, Murray Rothbard's attempt to align with uh, the kind of racist uh, southern republicans in the 80s yeah, you're right on, on the alliances there. But it seems that what you're raising is the question of, and I think it's different in sort of day-to-day -day morality versus politics, although if you've listened to Aaron and I talk for a while, we, we don't totally separate those two things. But like having a political opinion or voting on something, you know, is different than whether or not you should drive drunk or how, you know, like some sort of action where you like look and you say, should I drive home tonight? Right. Is that good? But then the, the question you're raising is how much is it incumbent upon someone to know things, to research things? And, and I mean that from, you know, at the political level, it's like, should, should you even have an opinion about housing policy, much less vote about it? But let's just start even with having an opinion, because I think you and I are both the same way, where it's like, as you said, there's a lot of things uh, that I just like abstain from having an opinion on. And that also comes from being in D.C. now for 12 years and saying there's a lot of people who have opinions that are really, really, really crappy and they don't know, know anything about them and they get a lot of airtime. Whereas like Israel-Palestine. Like right now, I have no current opinion on Israel-Palestine. Uh, I have not researched it yet. I, I, I have some general thoughts, but I haven't researched it yet. Um, but so one is like, so to have an opinion and, to, and definitely to make your voice heard and then to vote, uh, which is, I think, and I know you think, is a moral act in how you do it, whether you do it, how you do it, how much information you have. Um, but then how much should you learn about, um, I'm trying to think of just like a good daily example, like, uh, of a, a part, a decision you would make in your life, like about how to write Well, how to raise your kids. You have kids. I don't like how much, how much is it incumbent upon you to learn things about child development and read child rearing books? Like it, it because we do, if we just say intent matters, like they really wanted to raise a good kid, but they didn't know anything about it and they never tried to learn anything about it, right? And this person really wanted to vote well, but they didn't know anything about it and they didn't learn anything about it. So, so I think what we're saying is that people are required to learn something sometimes to connect the outcome and the intent because the thing that breaks that is ignorance like if you if your intent is good and the outcome is bad aside from like random problems that could happen then the thing that breaks it is being ignorant uh about connecting those two things is that kind of what you're one of the things you're kind of it also raises the really interesting question of how we decide when and where how much ignorance is permissible to act upon which is, again, a 
a sliding scale because we don't want to say in order to vote, you need the degree of expertise of the most qualified policy analyst about this thing that exists, right? But we also don't want to say you can just go on your gut. And and I think one of the interesting things that happens in politics that the way that this plays out, the way that it's not – that the the intent becomes – moralized in a comparative way in the way that it doesn't in a lot of other instances. And what I mean by that is the the intent you might have, so the, the Affordable Care Act, um, if if you oppose that, so if, if I tell you, like if you say, um, I want to, should I go to this restaurant or that restaurant? And I make a recommendation to you and my intent is somewhat mixed, right? Like maybe I had I had a bad experience with or someone I don't like works there, but also like I think the food isn't as good as the other place, et cetera, et cetera. And that all comes out. You don't like consign me to a category of like the bad 50% of the country who everything they say is a lie or corrupt or so on. Um, but we tend to do that in politics. And, and so one result is that the mechanism, one of the mechanisms we can use for getting at this problem of we don't know everything but we have to act is to rely on expertise. You know, so I I don't know I'm not a doctor. So if I have a medical issue, I have to rely on someone else's expertise, but I do have to choose whose expertise I rely on and in order to do that, I don't need to be I don't need perfect expertise in medicine, right? Because then I wouldn't have to rely on anyone's. And so I have enough to – I in general, we have a sense like this doctor strikes me as at least is not Dr. Nick from The Simpsons. Like if you run into Dr. Nick, most of us would say, yeah, that that guy like does not seem to be uh, – And but, but the reason that we can tell the difference between Dr. Nick and, you know, the – the family pediatrician that we've been going to, even though we don't have the medical knowledge to like really assess them f- each fully, is in part because the Dr. Nick is a bad doctor is not like an un- is is an uncontroversial statement, right? Like w- most people recognize the badness of Dr. Nick's medical expertise. And most people, and if if I tell you, Trevor, I think Dr. Nick is a bad doctor, it's very unlikely that you're going to like take that as a sign to consign me to the half of the country that's corrupt and evil, right? But in politics, what it means is that the the mere fact that a that an expert has said things that disagree with your tribe immediately consigns that expert to the bad and corrupt and probably not an expert thing. And so the the tribalism of it, the way that we we turn politics, not into a shared and messy project to make the world better, but instead a a system of partisan and cultural and social signifiers of belonging and opposition and opposing tribes and our team, et cetera, et cetera, makes it much harder for us to even develop that bare level of, I guess, reasonable judgment 
for picking out the experts because because uh, to to kind of belabor the point, one of the things that you quickly get about being around real policy experts is they're often the ones who are like, this is complicated. And these are the unknowns. And this is the thing where this policy proposed looks analogous to this one in the past, which worked out this way. But because we can't run clean natural experiments, it looks like it didn't work, but we don't know how much of that was variables outside of our control, random variables. We don't know which variables are analogous are relevantly analogous between these things like they they don't talk like the absolutely certain people that you see on your tv saying this is clear and obvious and within politics that gets read as this person is not one of us and so our whole political culture teaches us to basically see the signs of genuine expertise as instead signs of belonging to a political tribe of not sharing intent and so on. Yeah. And I mean, I think you and I both agree that politics really is, it, it is not about policy. Uh, you know, it, electoral politics is not about policy. It's not about reasonable debate. Uh, it's about signaling and black hats and white hats and all of those things. And you can, I mean, I just think we have to accept it. The interesting question is what we you know do about it. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up regarding intent, I mean, it's related, um, is when you, the imputing of intent that you think the other side has and this goes to just what politics is. I wrote an article years ago. I, I think I named this the lazy jury fallacy, which is not a good name, but what, whatever. Uh, it goes like this. Um, I think libertarianism results in, or like free market capitalism, whatever, results in an oligarchy. Therefore, people who are for free market capitalism want an oligarchy. And therefore, I argue against them as if they wanted an oligarchy, right? Uh, there, there are so many examples of this where you you do not take any time to understand, like you, you take your vision of what you think an ideology results in and impute that as the intent of the person you're arguing against. Conservatives do this with socialists, like... People who are true blue socialist Marxists, they they disagree with conservatives and libertarians libertarians that socialism only results in you know North Korea and Pol Pot and Soviet Union. They think that it can result in something different. So when conservatives say, "Oh, you you socialists, they just want you know," and they kind of say the same thing. They they want to dominate the poor and have an oligarchy. Uh, they're arguing against what the imputed intent that they believe exists within the ideology they're arguing against. And that that is just a big problem. Like, there's just so little charity in any political debate. And, like, as someone who's been more of a, like, a policy expert than you in, like, the nitty-gritty in, in our careers, uh, you know, like, gun debates, campaign finance debates, it is interesting where I, I've actually been a part of numerous panels uh i was just doing one on medical marijuana actually a debate on medical marijuana in ohio 
and we you know we end up if the person on the other side is an honest policy expert and is an honest and and decent person we end up having like a super nuanced it's complex discussion and i think sometimes the audience walks away and they're like man i wish that was just more like fisticuffs knock down drag out like you know you're and i've told people for years you know and giving advice to students and stuff that when you get into a debate if you're doing a public debate uh you can't win the debate like on stage you just want to have a reasonable discussion and if you're really like a policy person in almost everything the the answer is it's complex uh but then there's this other part where you have you have this thing where some people in this town, I'm not going to name any names, uh, they get really energized by zingers and extremely partisan, you know, and, and again, going imputing intent and, and making zingers and not making complex arguments because the crowd starts cheering that and they love that fact. And those are the people who become, you know, hosts of partisan you know, talk shows and things like that. They love the zingers, but yeah, the, the real policy questions are so much more complex, but yeah, to, but your point, I think, I think we have to get back to this basic question of, uh, therefore, what can we demand of people? You know, we, we have, we, you guys can look up at old free thoughts and it's on YouTube where Aaron and I debated voting with uh, two of our former colleagues at Cato um, and one of our points that we made was was to go with Jay Brennan's like point that uh, it might be immoral to vote ignorantly. Like, like so, if you don't know anything and you vote, it might might be immoral. Um, uh, you need to know something, in many instances, to, to to commit a moral act, whether that's voting or raising your kids or any other things we're talking about. Um, would we able to, would we be able to like forward a thesis about how much is required? One, I wonder if one way you can approach it is, so to some extent, it's almost like there's, there's nothing wrong with ambivalence, but our political culture tells us that the worst possible thing you can be is ambivalent. And as far as the question of like how much ignorance is acceptable and what obligation do we have in any given question to correct our ignorance? Or, I mean, the first part of it is to assess our ignorance, right? Because in a lot of cases, it's not people saying— Which is often saying, the hardest part. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not people saying, I don't know anything about this, but I don't care. It's people like not even putting in the effort to see if they actually know about this. This is—I had, had an exchange online— just this morning where I had seen a meme shared by Occupy Democrats, which is like the lowest of the low kind of blue wave hashtag resist memeing. And it's almost always, it, it's not just stupid. It's like, I think intentionally misleading in the stuff that they say. And, and this was saying that, you know, there was a, there was a time um, and it said, there's a time when we spent when the rich paid their fair share of taxes and we were able to use that to then build roads and schools, et cetera, et cetera. And we even put someone on the moon. 
And so I was like, okay, this is interesting because now the put someone on the moon gives us a date that this this is talking about. So we're talking about the, the 1960s. The moon landing was 1969. So I went and looked. And in Kennedy's, in Kennedy's administration, the federal per capita spending adjusted into 2003 dollars was just shy of 5000 right and it's important to talk about federal per capita because then you're not saying like oh yes the government's spending more but we have more people and it's important that it's inflation adjusted because then we're comparing apples to apples uh, it was so it was below 5000 in the reagan administration if i remember correctly it was about eight and a half thousand um, in 2001, which there was a spike then because there was stimulus spending, it was just shy of 20,000, right? And so maybe the rich aren't paying their fair share of taxes. Maybe they should be paying more. But if your argument is, therefore, we had more money to spend, that's clearly the data just doesn't support it. Uh, okay. So I, I pointed that out and got a response from someone who, you know, going through their profile, they're very politically engaged. They share lots of political memes. They're like t telling people to get out and vote, et cetera, et cetera. They're like clearly dedicate a fair amount of their time to talking about politics. Said, first off, I don't believe that we ever spent more than $5,000 per person. Um, so it's just like, I think, you know, so I think CBO numbers, right? Like the, the CBO is just lying to us. Um, and so it was, it was like, I'm going to remain ignorant because it fits my narrative. And then went on to say, but even if it was the case, back then, again, this being the 1960s, um, America was a place where people had ideas and not ideologues, was the line, um, where we had disagreements, but we settled them in in discussion, and where our partisanship didn't extend to foreign policy, which was presumably a reference to the... Uh, to the Israeli-Palestine conflict right now. And and it's just, it's like, I'm I'm not a PhD historian of the 20th century, but my read of America in the 1960s was, it was a tumultuous Let's say, say a little bit divided, yeah. A little bit divided. And, and the foreign policy, I mean, you know, there was, I guess most people were broadly in agreement about the Vietnam War. Um, but it was like, it it was that was just this kind of really clear example of i am someone who is incredibly engaged in politics and political questions and have very strong opinions about the right thing to do and strong opinions that aren't just i have strong opinions about the way i ought to behave but i have strong opinions about the way that you ought to behave and the way that the entire society ought to behave but at the same time was just breathtakingly ignorant of not even not even subtle and difficult and like widely unknown facts but just like the way America was in the 1960s right and and so i think that's where we can we can start to tease out a, an answer to this is to say uh, you mean like a baseline a baseline is if it's an issue that you are that doesn't much matter to you or where the stakes are very low or where you believe the stakes are very low cuz obviously like your individual vote doesn't really make any difference in the world but most people don't think that way they think that their vote is incredibly important so they imagine it to have big stakes um 
if you think that, like this is this is an incredibly important issue. Um, it's one where my my opinion matters a lot, and where it is profoundly morally wrong to not share my opinion. Um, then that's the kind of situation where your moral requirement to accurately assess your own ignorance and put in the effort to undo that ignorance, particularly if it's something that you're spending a lot of time on anyway, ratchets up significantly. Versus if it's something where you're like, I'm going to make a decision, but it's lower stakes. I don't really like, I don't as much care. It doesn't bother me if other people are choosing differently. So like I'm grabbing a candy bar at the, you know, checkout at the grocery store then it's very clear that like if i'm totally ignorant about what this these various kinds of candy bars are i don't have like some sort of moral obligation to put the effort in and that leaves a big spectrum in the middle but basically people kind of tell us what issues they think are important enough to dedicate time to but then they dedicate that time in the wrong way yeah they dedicate it to memes no i I think you're it's interesting you brought up as I was thinking when I asked you this question about tax rates, um, and it's interesting you brought up this interaction you had because you, what you look, you and I, we've had this, we've had discussions on free thoughts. We've had discussions, you and I both, you know, there's a, a lot of reasonable debate to have about, you know, equalizing people in society, like via the tax code, right? Taxing, taxing progressive tax codes, even like pure socialism, um, but if you have really, really strong opinions about how much the rich should pay in taxes and you have no idea how much they currently pay in taxes, then it's hard for me to take you seriously as someone that I should even engage with, right? I mean, like that, I think that, that – I asked a friend of mine once this uh, – this is a long, long-time family friend and, and she is a friend. But she was posting things about this and I just like – I just messaged her. I was like, what do you think – the top tax rate is or how much of the U S government, you know, what the, what are the top 10% pay in terms of support of the U S government? And I think it's 90%. Don't quote me on that, but I think it, it's close to, it's like 90% of the U S government is supported by the top 10% of the earners and the taxes paid by the top 10% of earners. So it's, that is wildly frustrating. And I would completely agree. And maybe one thing we're kind of saying too and this is like a little bit of a tired trope, but like more responsibility on social media, which of course, again, they're not really doing it. Uh, they're doing it for signaling purposes. Um, but like it, it is a problem in, of people not connecting their, their ignorance to the out, their ignorance to their opinions that they're sharing. And sometimes, you know, go viral or something where you have these kind of things. So that there is something incumbent upon you to know something. So I agree with you on that. Um, I don't think it, I mean, I, I think it's moderately immoral to vote completely ignorantly, but since I don't think votes really matter, it's not terribly immoral. Um, Right. I mean, like, your since your vote is not going to change the election, then the fact that you made an ignorant vote is not as bad as not learning how to raise your kids properly. Right. That 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 right. You want to raise good kids. Back to intent. I think everyone wants to raise good kids, but if you spend no time trying to figure out how to do that, right, then you've committed, I think, a moral 
a moral wrong there uh, that is more significant than voting wrong. I think it's significant in one way, um, but I think the we need to be the fact that people overestimate the significance of their vote factors into this. So let's say, let's say that I genuinely believe that there is a that there's it sounds a like a law school hypothetical. Right. Keep going, yeah, yeah. I it's just like people who genuinely think like they a, can kill. Well, I'm pause you. It's like like people who genuinely believe they can kill people with voodoo. Right. Well, this is this is. If was, they really believe that, yeah. <laughs> I was going to give kind of an analogous, like so. Imagine that you genuinely believe that there is a divine creator of the universe who has issued commands that if you disobey them, then when you die, you will burn in hell for eternity. And burning in hell for eternity is, you know, objectively the worst possible thing that can happen to you. Right. Like this, it's hard to imagine something worse than that. And. You come to me and say, you've said this, you've told me there's this thing, this being that I need to obey its commands, and if I don't, I'll burn in hell for eternity, um, but I don't know what those commands are. Can you tell me? And I, like, so first off, let's stipulate that there in fact is not a divine being who's issued commands that will burn in hell for eternity, right? So like, what I tell you um, especially if these are commands that aren't going to like affect the quality of your life. It's like our, you know, the divine being wants you to only wear blue t-shirts. And if you ever wear a black t-shirt again, you'll burn in hell for eternity. If you act on that, it doesn't meaningfully change your life over if you had occasionally worn a black t-shirt. So if it's something like that, and I don't know, like I have not put in any of the effort. And so I just kind of make up an answer. On the one hand, you could say, I haven't, I've created a very minimal moral wrong because the outcome of me acting out of ignorance is going to be effectively zero on you. Um, but on the other hand, you could say, I have committed a moral wrong because I genuinely believed that this would, if you did the, if you acted on my advice, it would save you from an eternity in hell, and I just didn't put the effort in. That says something, whether we want to call that a moral wrong, how we want to like create a taxonomy, it says something about like the quality of your character, and it says that you have behaved in a way that is not admirable. Um, and I think that that is, that's the way that a lot of voting is. And then the other point I wanted to make is that this on the tax thing, I think this is really interesting, is when we talk about ignorance of voters and policy, we can be talking about ignorance that is profoundly challenging and ambiguous to overcome in the sense of like, I am, I am ignorant about, I have the intent of, I want everybody to have access to healthcare at an affordable level for them that is high quality, and I don't want to do it in a way that stifles innovation in healthcare that will lead to much better healthcare at a lower cost down the road. How should I, what's the ideal policy? I think both of us would say, I can like give some gestures in that direction, but I don't know for sure at all. And anyone who says that they know for sure is wrong about the like, assessing their certainty because this is incredibly complicated. It's based on a lot of assumptions and knowledge we don't have, stuff out like it's overcoming that ignorance is challenging, time consuming, and might be impossible.
But so often it's not that. It is, I think we ought to change the tax law because the rich aren't actually paying any taxes. Um, and seeing if you're right about the rich not paying any taxes is literally 90 seconds on Google. Um, yeah, that's step one. That's what, that's what, that was my gesture. And, yeah. And so that's how many of these things, or the like, I don't think that the government is spending $5,000 per capita in 1965 or whenever it was. That's literally like, that's not something where there is any effort at all. It just means like taking yeah, took, 30 seconds. It took seconds you like five browsing. minutes yeah, to, yeah. To, to check this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's where it gets, the whole thing gets even worse because there's rational ignorance right, that gets talked about in terms of voters are rationally ignorant. But so much of the ignorance is is not even really irrational because you actually cared about it that much. It's not even actually rational ignorance. It is irrational ignorance because if you cared about it that much, it would take you a de minimis amount of time to get a very concrete and indisputed answer to the question. But they don't even care to do that. So what do we, what do we advise? I mean, like, you know, like, I'm just like, uh, uh, we're both, you know, we, we, we both done this for a while. Uh, we're, we are the kind of people who, uh, will see a meme and then spend 30 seconds to see if the meme is correct. Right. If you're listening to this, you're probably that kind of person. Um, is it, is it like, kind of like, be an example, like talk to people. Is it like how you talk to people? Like how do we actually change any of this? Um, I'll tell you right now, I'm extremely pessimistic. I mean, I, I've, I've always in my career from being on stage, you know, at a, at a public debate to talking to someone in a bar, you know, that ends up in a political conversation, tried to be like an example of someone who, you know, is, reasonable and and cares about facts and uh doesn't impute motives and intent to people uh because you know they support or oppose some law um i mean i think my answer to the question i'm asking is the best any individual one of us can do is try to be an example of someone who who cares about facts and knowledge and the connection between intent and outcome and how those have to be at least somewhat connected. Um, do you have a better answer than that? I don't. I mean, I think the, we have to approach it from like a methodological individualism standpoint that you can't, the only thing that you can do is what you personally can do. And the only effect you can have is the effect that you personally have on other people that either interact with you directly or interact with you indirectly by listening to what you've written, like listen to a podcast you've done or seeing something you've written or hearing an argument that you made secondhand and so on. And, and so I think ultimately it just is, yeah, there's all sorts of cultural reasons that politics is bad. Um, and cultures tend to perpetuate because you are, you're acculturated into them they also tend to have defense mechanisms that see anything that deviates from that culture as suspect or dangerous or whatever else. And so we, you know, tend to believe people who fit within our culture and disbelieve people who don't, etc. 
Um, there are structural reasons politics is bad, which you and I have talked about in the past at length. Um, there are incentives within it for political actors to encourage the kinds of bad things that we have talked about because it flows to their benefit. Um, and you can't, you know, no, no single person can change any of that. And so I think, yeah, the, it has to come down to just even the littlest benefit that you can achieve is still a benefit and something to be, you know, to take pride in. And so if you're going to be, be the change there, you want to see in the world, yes, be the change. If you're going to be out there talking about politics, um, that means that you care enough about it to be, or enjoy it enough to be doing that as opposed to being out there talking about college football or Marvel movies or whatever other thing you could be talking about in person or on social media or whatever else. And, and so at the very least, like if you are, I'm going to make a factual claim or I'm going to share a meme, if it's something where you can get an answer in 30 seconds on Google, why not? Like just get the answer in 30 seconds on Google. Um, if it conflicts with what you thought before, that learn to to be interested in that as opposed to seeing it as threatening like i'll just say politics is more fun if your views on it are constantly refining and evolving and you're learning more and it's a lot less fun if you're just shouting the same thing over and over and over again um so there's just kind of for selfish reasons pursue that that learning and that evolution um, if it's low cost for you to point out errors, so to reply back to the meme and say, you know, the CBO data shows this, that may not, that post might not change anyone's mind. It might also change one person's mind or get one person to go and look at the data or whatever. And it was relatively costless to you. So if it accomplishes anything, that's probably more benefit than than the cost was. Plus you looking it up means that you looked it up and you learned it too. Uh, and, and then just, you know, for elsewhere, I've re argued for reasons, this is like good for your own moral character and happiness, like push back against those urges to categorize the people or to assume evil intent where it's unnecessary um, to assume that, a particular thing is motivated by immorality versus being motivated by ignorance or incompetence, which, you know, we always tend to like people mess stuff up and we assume they intended to do it. Like all of those things are, they may only have very marginal effects in the world, but marginal effects are still effects. And they're just going to make you happier and better at this thing that you've decided you want to dedicate a chunk of your time to anyway. So just put in that minimal effort. Thank you for joining us on Freedom. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to get access to episode transcripts, bonus content, extended conversations, and our Discord community, go to www.freedom.audio.